Chapter 68 of the D'Artagnan Romances, Volume 2, Twenty Years After by Alexander Dumas, translated by William Robson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Cromwell's House It was, in fact, Mordaunt, whom D'Artagnan had followed without knowing it. On entering the house, he had taken off his mask and imitation beard, then, mounting a staircase, had opened a door. In a room, lighted by a single lamp, found himself face to face with a man seated behind a desk. This man was Cromwell. Cromwell had two or three of these retreats in London, unknown except to the most intimate of his friends. Mordaunt was among these. "'It is you, Mordaunt,' he said. "'You are late.' "'General, I wish to see the ceremony to the end, which delayed me.' "'Ah, I scarcely thought you were so curious as that.' i am always curious to see the downfall of your honor's enemies and he was not among the least of them but you general were you not at whitehall no said cromwell there was a moment's silence have you had any account of it none i have been here since this morning i only know that there was a conspiracy to rescue the king ah you knew that said mordaunt it matters little four men disguised as workmen were to get the king out of prison and take him to greenwich where a vessel was waiting and knowing all that your honor remained here far from the city tranquil and inactive tranquil yes replied cromwell but who told you i was inactive but if the plot had succeeded i wished it to do so i thought your excellence considered the death of charles i as a misfortune necessary to the welfare of england yes his death but it would have been more seemly not upon the scaffold why so asked mordaunt cromwell smiled because it could have been said that i had had him condemned for the sake of justice and had let him escape out of pity but if he had escaped impossible my precautions were taken and does your honor know the four men who undertook to rescue him the four frenchmen of whom two were sent by the queen to her husband and two by mazarin to me and do you think mazarin commissioned them to act as they have done it is possible but he will not avow it how so because they failed your honor gave me two of these frenchmen when they were only guilty of fighting for charles i now that they are guilty of a conspiracy against england will your honor give me all four of them take them said cromwell mordaunt bowed with a smile of triumphant ferocity did the people shout at all cromwell asked very little except long live cromwell where were you placed mordaunt tried for a moment to read in the general's face 
if this was simply a useless question or whether he knew everything but his piercing eyes could by no means penetrate the somber depths of cromwell's i was so situated as to hear and see everything he answered it was now cromwell's turn to look fixedly at mordaunt and mordaunt to make himself impenetrable it appears said cromwell that this improvised executioner did his duty remarkably well the blow so they tell me at least was struck with a master's hand mordaunt remembered that cromwell had told him he had had no detailed account and he was now quite convinced that the general had been present at the execution hidden behind some screen or curtain in fact said mordaunt with a calm voice and immovable countenance a single blow sufficed perhaps it was someone in that occupation said cromwell do you think so sir he did not look like an executioner and who else save an executioner would have wished to fill that horrible office but said mordaunt it might have been some personal enemy of the king who had made a vow of vengeance and accomplished it in this way perhaps it was some man of rank who had grave reasons for hating the fallen king and who learning that the king was about to flee and escape him threw himself in the way with a mask on his face and an axe in his hand not as substitute for the executioner but as an ambassador of fate possibly and if that were the case would your honor condemn his action it is not for me to judge it rests between his conscience and his god but if your honor knew this man i neither know nor wish to know him provided charles is dead it is the axe not the man we must thank and yet without the man the king would have been rescued cromwell sighed they would have carried him to greenwich he said and put him on board a felucca with five barrels of powder in the hold once out to sea you are too good a politician not to understand the rest mordaunt yes they would have been all blown up just so the explosion would have done what the axe had failed to do men would have said that the king had escaped human justice and had been overtaken by gods you see now why i did not care to know your gentleman in the mask for really in spite of his excellent intentions i could not thank him for what he has done mordaunt bowed humbly sir he said you are a profound thinker and your plan was sublime say absurd since it has become useless the only sublime ideas in politics are those which bear fruit so to-night mordaunt go to greenwich and ask for the captain of the felucca lightning show him a white handkerchief knotted at the four corners and tell the crew to disembark and carry the powder back to the arsenal unless indeed 
"'Unless?' said Mordaunt, whose face was lighted by a savage joy as Cromwell spoke. "'This skiff might be of use to you for personal projects.' "'Oh, my lord, my lord!' "'That title,' said Cromwell, laughing, "'is all very well here, but take care a word like that does not escape your lips in public.' but your honor will soon be called so generally i hope so at least said cromwell rising and putting on his cloak you are going sir yes said cromwell i slept here last night and the night before and you know it is not my custom to sleep three times in the same bed then said mordaunt your honor gives me my liberty for to-night and even for all day to-morrow if you want it since last evening he added smiling you have done enough in my service if you have any personal matters to settle it is just that i should give you time thank you sir it will be well employed i hope cromwell turned as he was going are you armed he asked i have my sword and no one waiting for you outside no then you had better come with me thank you sir but the way by the subterranean passage would take too much time and i have none to lose cromwell placed his hand on a hidden handle and opened a door so well concealed by the tapestry that the most practiced eye could not have discovered it. It closed after him with a spring. This door communicated with a subterranean passage, leading under the street to a grotto in the garden of a house, about a hundred yards from that of the future protector. It was just before this that Grimaud had perceived the two men seated together. D'Artagnan was the first to recover from his surprise. Mordaunt, he cried. "'Ah, by heaven!' It is God himself who sent us here. Yes, said Porthos. Let us break the door in and fall upon him. No, replied D'Artagnan. No noise. Now, Grimaud, you come here, climb up to the window again, and tell us if Mordaunt is alone and whether he is preparing to go out or go to bed. If he comes out, we shall catch him. If he stays in, we will break in the window. It is easier and less noisy than the door. Grimaud began to scale the wall again. "'Keep guard at the other door, Athos and Aramis. Porthos and I will stay here.' The friends obeyed. "'He is alone,' said Grimaud. "'We did not see his companion come out. He may have gone by the other door.' "'What is he doing?' "'Putting on his cloak and gloves.' "'He's ours,' muttered D'Artagnan porthos mechanically drew his dagger from the scabbard put it up again my friend said d'artagnan we must proceed in an orderly manner hush said grimaud he is coming out he has put out the lamp i can see nothing now get down then and quickly grimaud leaped down the snow deadened the noise of his fall now go and tell athos and aramis to stand on each side of the door and clap their hands if they catch him we will do the same the next moment the door opened and mordaunt appeared on the threshold 
face to face with d'artagnan porthos clapped his hands and the other two came running around mordaunt was livid but he uttered no cry nor called for assistance d'artagnan quietly pushed him in again and by the light of a lamp on the staircase made him ascend the steps backward one by one keeping his eyes all the time on mordaunt's hands who however knowing that it was useless attempted no resistance at last they stood face to face in the very room where ten minutes before mordaunt had been talking to cromwell porthos came up behind and unhooking the lamp on the staircase relit that in the room athos and aramis entered last and locked the door behind them oblige me by taking a seat said d'artagnan pushing a chair toward mordaunt who sat down pale but calm aramis porthos and d'artagnan drew their chairs near him athos alone kept away and sat in the furthest corner of the room as if determined to be merely a spectator of the proceedings he seemed to be quite overcome porthos rubbed his hands in feverish impatience aramis bit his lips till the blood came d'artagnan alone was calm at least in appearance monsieur mordaunt he said since after running after one another so long chance has at last brought us together let us have a little conversation if you please end of chapter sixty eight recording by john van stan savannah georgia